there a place in time where logic breaks down and wonderment begins? Could that be somewhere or sometime along an indefinable line between the reasonable and the highly unlikely? Makeshift Stories presents a monthly journey into the improbable. Shooting stars or meteors are sometimes considered omens. In some cultures, people make wishes when they see one, and others believe that they are the tears of the gods. A good or bad premonition, depending on how you want to interpret the sighting of one. A few people even believe that everyone has a personal star, and on your demise it will fall, briefly streaking across the night sky, following you into the hereafter. After losing her job to an artificial intelligence, Janet impulsively decides to drive to an observatory where she can watch the Perseid meteor shower. However, just before she arrives, Janet stops to take a break and finds herself mistaken for someone looking for work as an extra on a nearby film set. She decides to play along, but soon discovers that there is something more going on than a simple film shoot. We invite you now to sit back and relax as you listen to episode 106, Shooting Star. Somewhere in some time, you might be offered a job with some very unusual benefits. Janet pulled off onto the shoulder of the gravel range road, then turned out the lights and checked her phone. In the almost total darkness, its brilliant display momentarily blinded her. She squinted at the acid white numerals. It was 3.30 a.m. Janet turned off the ignition, then sat back in the driver's seat, waiting until the ringing in her ears and the after-images in her eyes faded to the ambient level of the darkened countryside beyond the windshield. She had driven 14 hours straight, 14 hours away from her life and her problems. Janet just wanted to see the stars, the Milky Way, and the Perseid meteor shower. She just wanted to lie on her back and stare into the night sky until it filled her with its vastness putting her and her problems in their proper perspective. In the busy glare of the city, it was easy to forget that you weren't the center of the universe. She was still, according to the car's nav system, five minutes from the Dominion Radio Astrophysical Observatory, one of the better places to see the meteor shower. The nav app had recommended when she first dropped into the driver's seat that morning, and now she was almost there. But Janet had finally needed a break. With her senses fully adjusted to the still blackness, she looked behind her and could no longer see the orange glow of the last town over the peaks of the Monashi Mountains, which rose like the ramparts of an ancient castle around the narrow valley the road snaked through. It must be dark enough now, she whispered to herself, unbuckling her seatbelt and reaching over to the glove box, where she took out a can of insect repellent, doused her exposed skin with it, then opened the driver's side door and slipped out onto the gravel road. Janet stretched her arms out luxuriously, reaching up to the stars. On tiptoes, she spun into the gravel, then leaned back onto her car's hood and stared into the sky. The air this high up in the mountains was already uncomfortably cool. Heat from the engine percolated up through the thin sheet metal into her back, keeping her warm against the chill. Janet defocused her eyes, allowing her to pick up the slightest movement anywhere in the sky, but her mind freed from concentrating on the road began to fill in the silence with anxious noise. At 59, she still felt youthful. Janet had been careful to keep herself in good shape. Yeah, there was the odd stiff joint when she got up in the morning, but she felt the same as she did all her adult life, except, and there was always the exception, 
there were far fewer years in front of her than behind. Reminding her of this hard fact, the teenage clerks at the last two gas bars had automatically offered her the senior's discount without even asking for ID. The initial rush of getting away with it was like her first time underage being in a bar. But that rush was quickly replaced with anxiety and the realization that her propensity to look a bit older than her cohort wasn't an advantage anymore. At almost 60, what had she really accomplished? That was the nagging question. Janet caught a glimpse of a streaking light out of the corner of one eye, which brought her mind back to the present. She visualized the line it had etched across the night sky, then backtracked to its approximate point of origin. She waited, concentrating on a void between the stars. Two more in quick succession smeared into brief existence, growing brightest just before they were snuffed out, consumed in the fire of their trajectory. Three, then four, short-lived lives. Janet found herself wondering if measured in planetary time would a human life look like a meteor, and if that was so, how close she would be to the brightest point in her own trajectory before it quickly faded. But she hadn't yet completed the thought when the sky was lit up by a meteor so large she thought she could see individual flames licking off its fiery comet tail. This one didn't burn itself out. Instead, it just got brighter and brighter, speeding over her head, forcing her to roll on the car hood to follow it. A low sonic boom chased the meteor across the sky as it fell behind the ridge that separated her from the astrophysical observatory. The night suddenly evaporated in a flash, followed by another boom, and a few seconds later, a rush of warm air. That was really close, she told herself in surprise, jumping up and scrambling to get back into the car. She put on her seatbelt, then tried the ignition. Nothing. Try again. It will start. Janet tried to reassure herself, feeling panic well up from deep within. But there was no indication of life. Not even the dashboard lights came on. She reached for her phone, but found it dead as well. The explosion? Some kind of a shockwave effect? She muttered, remembering something about nuclear blasts and electronics. It was just a meteor, Janet. Calming herself, she sank back into the driver's seat to think. Could it have been something else? A missile? Would a missile look similar to a meteor? And why would someone fire a missile at the middle of an uninhabited mountain range? It wasn't a missile. Keep calm. You just forgot to charge your phone, and the car battery is old. I should have had it checked before I left, but then I was in a rush. I was frustrated and mad. It serves me right. Janet admonished herself. She knew she'd have to walk. The closest place was the observatory, five kilometers away, over the next ridge, in the direction of the meteor strike. It's not really all that far. She muttered, and pulled her pack from the back seat, extracted herself from the dead car, locked it out of habit, and set off, the sound of gravel crunching under her feet punctuating the silent night. Janet climbed over the crest of a small ridge, then started down on the other side, where a thick mist had condensed, blanketing the ground hiding what was beyond it. She pulled a headlamp out of her pack, adjusted it, and slipped it on. Its beam knifed into the mist, creating a fuzzy tunnel with a gravel floor. Janet hesitated, looked behind her, then stepped into the ground-hugging cloud. Water droplets seemed to cling to her, making her face, exposed flesh, and the ends of her hair tingle like she was walking through an electric field. She entered a particularly dense patch of mist, momentarily losing sight of the gravel. Disoriented, 
She wanted to turn around, but realized she could easily misjudge the direction and end up walking off the road. So Jana tried to keep going in a straight line. Just before she was about to panic, the mist began to thin and she could see lights burning through the fog ahead. Janet emerged from the cloud squinting, holding one hand up to shield her eyes. A silhouetted figure dressed in some type of uniform approached her. Are you here to work as an extra in the crowd scene? The figure asked in an authoritative male voice. Uh, I, I, yeah. Janet stumbled. I'm just trying to get to the observatory. My car... The guard cut her off. The road's closed during filming, ma'am. You can't go this way. Follow the path marked by the small lights. It will take you to the staging area. Janet was about to ask the man what was going on, but he was already climbing back into what looked like an ancient jeep. It was then that she noticed how he was dressed. He looked like a soldier from the 1950s. She stood gaping at him. Ignoring her, he impatiently waved her toward the path, then picked up a cartoon-sized walkie-talkie and began to talk into it. Janet cautiously made her way along the trail. As the odd security guard had told her, someone had casually dropped small pen lights on the ground, marking a trail down into the ditch and up over the next ridge. A bit weird, she thought. But then again, her car had told her this was the best place to watch the meteor shower. There might be hundreds of people here. Some type of organization would naturally be needed, she rationalized. However, she had imagined herself being alone in the mountains. As she neared the top of the ridge, Janet could make out the glow of lights on the other side and the murmur of voices. The voices made sense, but the lights didn't. The glare was washing out the sky, obliterating the stars and meteors. That's crazy. Why put up lights? She asked herself, then picked up her pace. Janet crested the ridge, panting, then stopped to catch her breath and surveyed the scene below. People milled about around a group of trailers and equipment. Cables were being moved in and out of a pool of light formed by three large arc lamps on portable stands. The trail meandered down to where a folding table had been set up. Not seeing another path, Janet carefully made her way down to the table. Neat flashlight you got strapped to your head there. Never seen one like that before. It's so bright and small. The voice came out of the shadows from beyond the light and was accompanied by a woman in a floral sundress, topped with a pastel collarless sweater. She butted a cigarette out on the tree trunk she had been leaning against, quickly walked over to the folding table, sat down, then pulled a form out of a fan file. You'll have to tell me where you got that thing. Could use one. I hate night shoots. Can't do the paperwork when you're holding a flashlight in one hand. You're almost late. We still got time. They're behind on the setup. The woman shoved a paper from across the table at Janet. What's this for? Janet asked, confused. The release for being an extra. Didn't they tell you anything when they recruited you back in town? Those guys, they're getting so sloppy. I could almost... She made a strangling motion with her hands. In town? Janet questioned. Yeah, they're supposed to tell you what to expect. Oh well, whatever, just fill it out. The woman pushed a rather odd-looking pen at Janet. Hurry up and fill it out or you'll miss the scene. If they like you, you can stay on for as long as you want. The woman's eyes surveyed Janet critically. Didn't they tell you what to wear? Not a dress. You were supposed to be in silver trousers over a white leotard. But we need one more person. Hmm. Okay, it doesn't matter. Go see the production assistant over by the trailer. She's wearing a red sweater. She'll get you in costume. 
So the guy on the road wasn't joking. They are shooting a movie here. Janet said mostly to herself. Well, we aren't out here stargazing, lady. The woman noted with a forced smile. Janet stopped herself from responding, picked up the pen, and started filling in the form. Like everything she had seen since meeting the security guard on the road, it looked dated. Just some overzealous set designer going overboard, she rationalized. It had only been that morning, when she had walked into the office to hold her weekly staff meeting, that she had been intercepted by an HR advisor, who redirected her to an empty meeting room. There, the advisor, two decades younger than her, had explained that a new AI-driven communications marketing system would take over all her department's functions. Casually discarded like an older model cell phone, at almost 60 and after 25 years, she and a cardboard box of her personal belongings had been escorted to the parking lot. Stunned, Janet had simply dropped the box beside the backpack she had absentmindedly left in the back seat after her last hike. Not knowing what else to do, she looked at the news on her phone and seeing a story on the meteor shower, looked up the best location to see it, then followed the map app in her car to end up here. She hadn't really expected to be working again. Who would hire a 59-year-old with obsolete skills? Whatever movie she had stumbled onto, they were apparently willing to employ her no questions asked. This wasn't what she had set out to do, but now she realized she wanted this, being here, accidentally being hired as an extra. It made her feel needed and useful, even if it was only for a day or two. Janet finished filling out the form and handed it back. The woman, who claimed she was the assistant casting director, studiously examined the form, then scratched out the year Janet had added beside her signature. I'll take it that was a joke. She penciled in 1956, then had Janet initial it. It's the year we started shooting. Saw the paperwork's got to use that date. That's cute. Janet noted sarcastically. Are you taking the whole period thing a bit too far? All this old stuff? She motioned at the ancient-looking movie lights and Airstream trailers. When's this movie supposed to take place, anyway? Geez, didn't they tell you anything? Never mind. Get going. They're almost ready to shoot the crowd scene. Hurry. The assistant casting director impatiently waved Janet away. Maybe this is a weird performance art piece. Janet tried to rationalize, thinking the whole fake 1950s behind-the-scenes thing could be the real video. Some new reality show that put unsuspecting people like her in bizarre situations. Either way, she was game to play along. Janet weaved through a crowd of dated-looking, futuristically-clothed extras milling around drinking coffee from small white paper cups. Everyone was bald, she noted apprehensively. She didn't even need to find the production assistant. She was intercepted by the young woman in the red sweater before she was halfway to the trailers. This way, they're almost ready to shoot the big crowd scene. Here, you can start by putting this on. The production assistant tossed Janet a flesh-colored skullcap. Hide your hair under that. She barked. Okay, that makes me feel better. Janet admitted as she jogged behind to keep up. For a moment, I thought everyone had their heads shaved. Cost too much, the woman noted. We're shooting in black and white, so no one will notice the skull caps. Okay, in there. She pushed Janet through the door of a rather mint-looking ancient Airstream. The silver jumpsuit's on the rack. Pick one that fits. Hurry. When she emerged from the trailer in costume, the production assistant pushed Janet into a line of jumpsuited people. Janet decided it was like a parody of a 50s vision of the future. 
The man in front of her turned around and pushed a paper cup filled with lukewarm coffee at her. Here, he said. They told me there'd be one more person to complete our family unit. The man, in his thirties, had the beginnings of a midriff bulge pressing against his jumpsuit. Hold this. I think it's more of a prop than a drink. At least now I'll have someone to talk to, other than them. He nodded at two young boys standing behind him, shoving each other around. You know, you look too old for the part, so I guess that means we'll be at the back. I was hoping to be at the front this time, so I can spot myself in the scene when the movie is finished. They were looking for people in their thirties. That's what they told us. So I'm surprised, that's all. Janet glared at him. Already being told she was outdated that morning, she had had her fill and was going to push back with a snide comment about the man's weight. However, she guessed it would go down worse than his comment on her age, so instead she introduced herself. I'm Janet, and you are? Albert. Albert said. And those are my neighbors, kids. Didn't pick their parents. I don't understand their casting choices. Like you, you're... He tried to smile and shrugged. Too old? Janet suggested. Like you're a bit too... She stopped herself, changing the subject. Tell me about the movie and the scene we're doing. Didn't they give you the orientation? He asked. No, I sort of just stumbled on this at the last minute. It's a sci-fi movie set in 2016. Albert explained. Not in 1956? Why would they want to set it in the present? People like to imagine what the future will be like. No wars, jetpacks, flying cars, that kind of stuff. And look at the costume you're wearing. That's not the present. Anyway, the people in this small southwestern town see what they think is a meteor crash to Earth. But it's really a flying saucer, a scout ship for a coming invasion. But the audience doesn't find that out until the end. This is the scene where the townsfolk come to see the crash site and discover the saucer. It's technically complicated. They've even got a crane that suspends a prop jack car on wires. It's hard to get right. We've been working on it for a while. Lots of retakes. Some of the extras always leave between. Guess that's why you're here. The streak in the sky and explosion about an hour ago. Was is that part of the movie? Janet asked. Yeah, cool effect. I think it was some type of fireworks or something. Hmm, maybe. It seemed more real than that. Why wouldn't they do it in post using CG? It's the way most movies do effects these days. CG? Albert seemed confused. Computer graphics. You know, animation. I don't know. Maybe the animation would look, well, too cartoonish. Albert suggested. They want realism. That's what they told us. That's why we've been doing this scene over and over to get it right. How long have you been at this? Can't really say. Quite a while. Albert admitted, then instinctively looked at his arm, where a painted papier-mâché square had been strapped to his wrist. It's a prop. <laughs> he laughed. I forgot. Janet reached into her pocket and pulled out her phone. Hey, your prop looks way better than mine. Janet fumbled with the smartphone, then remembered her battery had died and put it away. Positions, everyone. A voice echoed through a loudspeaker. That's our cue. Follow me and I'll show you where to stand. They followed the group over another low rise, then stopped partway down the other side. Below them, bathed in light, was a large plywood mock-up of a classic flying saucer, buried partway in the ground at a slight angle, like it had crashed. 
Janet could make out a jettison-esque flying car suspended on wires hung from a large industrial crane. The scene looked like a parody of a movie set, which only strengthened her conviction that this was some weird reality show. A man, dressed in loose khaki pants and a white dress shirt clutching a blowhorn, approached. An assistant rushed in and handed him a thick binder. He flipped it open to a page that had been marked up in red, cursed, then looked at the crowd of extras. It's a last-minute script change again. Okay, I need one of you to be the leader of the townspeople. Someone who is supposed to be 120. His eyes scanned the crowd of ill-fitting silver jumpsuited people settling on Janet. Hey, you. You there, you look kind of old. But I'm only... Janet began to protest. It's the future, lady. They'd have some drug or something. You look older than the rest of this group. I thought we asked for no one to be over 30-something. Okay, doesn't matter. It'll work with the script change. Anyway, you get a line and you get paid more for it. When the sheriff jumps out of his hover car to stop the townspeople from approaching the alien ship, all you have to do is step forward and say, Sheriff, the aliens aren't here to hurt anyone. You got it? Janet nodded. Stand here. He pointed to her. That's your mark. When the hover car lands, walk away from the rest of the group and wait here. But don't look too young. Act your age. I bet your hips or knees or something else is going. So show that pain and struggle a bit with the words. Like they're hard to form in your ancient brain. You're 240, after all. Uh, that means I was born in the late 1700s? Janet pointed out. Never mind. This is fantasy. Just pretend you're really, really old and you are living in a future where most people don't look over 35. You are the exception. Heck, just act your age. Get it? And ham it up a bit, that's all. Albert turned and whispered. I've done this scene hundreds of times and never once been asked to do a speaking part. First time and you get a close-up with a line? Wow, you're lucky. I'm jealous. Hundreds of times? Janet questioned, getting more suspicious by the moment. Where's the hidden camera? Places. An amplified voice boomed. Actors and their starting marks. Let's get this one right, folks. Albert gave Janet a quick sideways look, as if to say, what are you talking about? Janet relaxed and decided to play along. A shrill whistle blew, and the crew lingering around the set hurried to their positions. Someone started a fan, and stage smoke began to drift lazily through the lit area. Blue and green lights behind openings in the plywood space saucer came on, casting tentative beams through the artificial fog. Cue the flying car! The amplified voice commanded. Roll cameras! came the faint offstage response. Action! A diesel engine burped to life, and a red flashing light on top of the flying police car lit up and began to strobe. The last time Janet remembered seeing the prop, it had been near the ground offstage. The crane belched, and the plywood and papier-mâché jet car began to descend into the scene. It landed with a crunch just in front of the extras on the hill. A tall man in a silver suit and plastic bubble helmet climbed out awkwardly and glared with fake anger at the crowd. That was Janet's cue. She stepped forward to her mark and said her line. They're dangerous, the sheriff countered. Already tore up most of the county next door. You'll all stay back and let the law handle this. The aliens have made their intentions clear. The actor turned and climbed back into the plywood prop car, almost getting stuck in the process. He pretended to flick a switch, then said, 
powering up laser beam. The crane revved up and the flying car jerked up into the air. When it was a few feet off the ground, someone behind the wooden flying saucer lit off what Janet thought might be a Roman candle aimed at the sheriff. The thing started belching out sparking purple comets and smoke, which, because of a light breeze, were blown off course and streaked by the suspended car, missing it by a wide margin. At that moment, a series of firecrackers that had been taped to the front of the wooden prop car went off in sequence. Cut! The amplified voice angrily screamed. You missed the car! Again! Set it up one more time and make sure to test it. Everyone else, take a break. The man in khaki pants approached Janet. You did great. If he doesn't change the script before the retake, I want you to do it again. Albert walked up and touched Janet on one shoulder. He did amazing, you know. It'll take them a while to set it up again. Always does. So we get to go back to the trailers and eat. The food's great, he said, patting his midriff. As if you can't tell. Albert, just before they started shooting... You said you had done this scene hundreds of times. That's just a figure of speech, right? Well, it's a conservative guess. I haven't really kept track. Okay, I get it already. Janet complained in frustration. We're on some kind of elaborate hidden camera show and you're probably the host. Host? Me? I wish. Unfortunately, I'm just a guy who lost his job. I was the pin setter at the bowling alley in town since I was a teen. The owners bought an automated machine. Progress, they called it. Nothing personal. It was just what they needed to do to keep competitive. That's what they said. Nothing personal. Just like that, I was kicked out. Didn't have any other skills. The movie people showed up the next day, and and here I am. Employed ever since then. All the people here are like that. Ex-dictograph or mimograph operators, unemployed copy boys and ice delivery drivers, you name it. Their jobs got eliminated, and the movie comes in and offers work. Some people stay, some people go between takes, some eventually get promoted to the crew. There's a rumor that the director was once one of us. None of that makes sense. All movies end. It's short-term work, Albert. Not this one. We've all been working here for quite a while. You see, we've been stuck on the crowd scene and never get it right. I think the producer wants it that way. He's always getting the writers to change the script at the last minute, which messes things up. That's just too weird. And you expect me to believe all this? Janet challenged and wheeled around on the top of the ridge they had been climbing to take in the set and production trailers below. This whole thing is fake. A gag. Your story doesn't even hold up. If everyone here is here because they lost a job, what about the kids? The two boys had begun needling each other as they walked down towards the trailers. Well, Albert looked embarrassed. I just was following the onboarding script. The kids have been here forever. No one remembers them being recruited. Maybe they're related to the producer. We don't know. Claiming they are your neighbor's kids is supposed to make new initiates like you feel, well, well, like that we're all from the same town. You're not? Janet asked in surprise. No, the film moves between takes. So we're from all over. The only rule here is you can't leave during the filming. Between takes, people can come and go. You could leave now if you wanted to. Quelling her impatience, Janet decided to play along for a bit longer. Okay, 
Then how long have you been here? Oh. Albert stopped, counted on his fingers, then looked up in the night sky. Hmm. It's hard to say. We've been working on this scene for quite a while. I have to admit that I don't really know. Let's see. I lost my job in August 62. The movie was in town recruiting that very night. Elmo over there, the production assistant who helped you with your costume, she lost her job in 56. Started as an extra just like you. And Antonio over there, the young dark-haired guy, joined us in 59. I used to keep track of that sort of stuff. But why bother? They give you everything you need here. Food, a job, a sense of doing something important. It's been a while since we've had a new recruit. Um... Albert hesitated, as if he was going to ask a difficult and sensitive question. Um, when did you say you lost your job? I mean, that's why you're here. That's why everyone ends up here. I, I would understand if you don't want to talk about it. Heck, few of us do. Before the movie, we all felt like discarded gun wrappers. 2016. Janet blurted out. August 12th, this morning. Oh. Albert gave her a sympathetic look, then smiled. Well, the movie found you. Very cool. 2016 is the year the movie is supposed to be set in. You should fit right in. Janet shook her head. Not at all. You mean there's no flying cars? And people who have TV radios on their wrists? He held up his prop watch. People aren't hairless and dressed in silver either? No. But we do have supercomputers that fit in our pockets. Hmm. I bet the art director will want to talk to you. Who knows? Maybe that's where they'll eventually slot you in. Have you signed your contract yet? Contract? I filled out a release form. Oh, right. You just barely arrived in time for the scene. The production manager will be taking you to see the producer before the next take. They arrived at a row of folding tables where coffee urns had been set up along with platters overflowing with sandwiches. Albert enthusiastically dug into a BLT on white bread, beckoning Janet to do the same. I need you to come with me. A woman said from behind Janet, startling her. We have some paperwork to sign. See, I told you. I bet they slot you into the crew. They can tell you've got potential. Janet followed the production manager through a narrow, dimly lit path between a row of tightly packed airstreams. The path abruptly ended at a trailer parked perpendicular to the others. The production manager knocked on the thin aluminum door. Come. A muffled voice commanded from within. The PM opened the door and motioned for Janet to go in. Thinking this would be the moment when the hidden camera would be revealed, and she would find out that she had stumbled onto the set of a gag show, Janet climbed in. But there was something in the back of her mind which began to insist that she might be wrong. The only light in the cramped interior came through the small windows. Janet could barely make out a figure seated behind a desk at the far end. Sorry about the lighting. We had to use all the generators on the set tonight. Please take a seat. Okay, what's really going on here? Janet demanded. The director was very impressed by you. A speaking part and a close-up. Perfect on the first take. Very impressive. Stop avoiding my question. What is going on here? The shadowy figure was silent for a moment, then finally sighed. <sighs> I suppose the times have changed. 
when I started this film, people appreciated the importance of the niceties of conversation. How are you doing today? Please and thank you. That sort of thing. But I can see you want to get straight to business. Rumor has it that it was 2016 when you arrived. Is that true? That's a lot longer than I would have guessed. What do you mean by was? Janet asked, her initial bravado beginning to fade. If you leave now, it will still be. But if you stay for the next take, it might be six months or a year or two years later. It's unpredictable. On set, on this side of the mist, time is out of sync with the rest of the universe. Janet began to laugh dismissively. Let me explain. Everyone here is older than they look. Many are over a hundred. They made the choice to stay on set. Out there, they would have died in obscurity years ago after struggling in a world that had discarded them and moved on. This was going to be my last film. The studio claimed I was too old, my ideas out of touch with the contemporary world. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Then on the night we went out to the desert to shoot the saucer scene, everything changed. We had just started filming when a meteor screamed out of the sky and crashed nearby. The explosion just about deafened everyone. Then the mist drifted in and surrounded everything except the set, and I knew. I don't know how, but I knew that if we didn't finish the film, we could keep going forever, drifting through time. People started showing up between takes. Unemployed people who couldn't find work because their skills were no longer needed. I gave them jobs as extras or production assistants. Some chose to stay. Some don't. Some of the crew that have been with us for a while want to see the future and leave. But the set moves on like a rudderless ship that occasionally makes land. If you stay, I can give you a job and a new purpose. Everyone here has a place. It's your call. Janet walked back through the mist, then turned around to look back. The lights on the other side of the ridge had been turned off. She was still sure that it had been a weird hidden camera show, and she had told the producer in no uncertain terms that they couldn't use any footage with her in it. The last thing she needed was to look the fool in a show that some other people in her industry might stumble upon. But she had to admit the last couple of hours had been good for her state of mind. It had made her determined to recover, to show her old company that a human was better than an AI. Janet spent the rest of the night in her car. In the morning, she tried starting it. Somehow, the battery had recovered enough to turn the motor over. She decided she needed to thank the people in the gag show for helping to lift her out of her funk and drove down the road to the set on the other side of the ridge. But when Janet got there, everything was gone, even the tire tracks where the airstreams and production vans had been parked. Not even a stand of sage had been disturbed. There was nothing. The site was pristine, untouched by humans. Fade to black. Thanks for listening to Make Sure Stories 106, Shooting Star. We hope that you've enjoyed this month's episode. As always, if you like what we're doing, please tell your friends about us or write a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or check us out on Facebook. We love hearing your comments, so send us an email to makeshiftstories at gmail.com or visit our website at makeshiftstories.com. And thanks to those from all over the world who have already emailed us. We release a new story every month between the 15th and the 20th. 
To listen to makeshift stories on your iOS or Android device, please download Stitcher Radio from iTunes or the Google Play Store. This month's episode was written by Alan V. Hare, read by Mitchell Too, and recorded by David H. The opening and closing themes were composed and recorded by David H. Makeshift Stories is released under Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivative license. Which means that you're free to share our stories. Just remember to credit us and don't alter anything.